today we're going to pick up where we left off last week in this series that I have entitled uh, The Return, speaking of the second coming of Jesus. I'm going to read just one verse of scripture to save time and I'll cover the rest of it, but my full text is Matthew 24, 15 through 28, but verse 15 of Matthew 24, New Living Translation The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place, within a parenthetical statement written by Matthew, reader, pay attention. For just a little bit, I want to preach from this thought, trusting Jesus with our future trusting Jesus with our future. I don't know if you've seen the movie Back to the Future. It's an interesting movie from the 80s and well-known actors. And the idea of the story is that they go back in time. They do some time travel in the DeLorean. And, and the idea is once they're back in the past, now they need to go back to the future and try to get back to where they were. And it's, it's an interesting movie and a lot of uh, interesting concept. They had already knew the future, but going back to the past was going to alter their future. And so trying not to alter and trying to navigate what that looks like. And I don't know what you believe about time travel. I don't even think about it, to be honest with you. No, I guess you can have whatever thoughts you want. But here's what I do know. Everybody wants to know the future. You may not want to know all of the future, but you at least want to know part of the future. You, you look ahead and you go, man, I wish I knew this, or I wish I knew what was going to happen. And if you're a kid, you want to be 15 years in the future. The younger you are, the older you want to be. And then the older you are, the younger you want to be. And you just want, there's a, comes a, a tipping point where you're like, well, let's go back the other way. And, and at 39, you're going, this is, a lot, this is as far as I'm going. I'm stopping right here at 39. At 51, I was just thinking this this week. I, I don't remember, but I, I think I was playing some sports. Could have been yesterday, playing soccer with a group of guys. And playing soccer is probably a little bit over, of an overstatement. I play goalie, and I don't do that very well. And I let them do all the running around, and I'm going, man, I I can't do that. At 51, I just can't do that. And, and then after we're done doing what little I do, I'm like, man, this is, I pulled a muscle here and I did this or that. It's like 39 looks really good from the vantage point of 51. But, but I had no idea what I would be doing at 51. But we look to the future. We have this idea if I knew the future. But ultimately, there is only one person who knows the future, and that is God. That He knows all things that are coming down the road, and nothing takes Him by surprise. That no matter what happens to you today or what happens to you tomorrow, it doesn't take God by surprise. He's not learning on the job. He knows the end, the Bible says. He knows the end of things from the beginning. That before He started any of this, He could see it all. He is outside of time, and He... Everything is present with God. So what you did yesterday and what you're going to do tomorrow, is for God, it's just like it's right there in front of Him. It is present with Him because 
He does not exist in time. Time exists in Him. That will fry your brain if you think too hard about it, but it's true that He is the one who starts time. He's the one in the beginning was God. Beginning is a time stamp. And in the beginning, God already was. Before time, He was in existence. But God gives us the future at times where He lets us get a glimpse of what is coming. This glimpse of the future The Bible would call it prophecy, as God prophesies and tells us what's coming. Sometimes He would speak it Himself, but more often than not, He would speak through people and say, this is what is coming down the road. It is this future that is called prophecy, but most of the time, God does not tell us our individual future. He doesn't say To you, this is what's going to happen over the next 20 years. Sometimes He gives us glimpses of what we're going to do or what He wants us to do, but He doesn't give us the steps on what's going to take place. I've told you this recently, 1993, the first time I ever thought about planting a church. There were a whole lot of steps in between. But 25 years to the month, we moved to Olathe to start a church God knew everything that was going to happen. He just didn't share it with me. So sometimes He will give us a a calling and say, this is what's coming down the road, but He doesn't tell us the steps that are going to take place to get there. And He doesn't even fully flesh it out about what it's going to look like when we get there. And if God told us our individual future, for most of us, we would try to change what that looks like. If he showed you as old and decrepit, you'd be like, well, let's see what I can do to change that. Or if he showed you with some kind of success and you would kick back and go, well, man, let's just wait till it all happens. But what you have to understand is God knows all the steps along the way and he knows that if he shows you this future end, you're going to do something that's going to change it. Just like in Back to the Future, there, there, this idea of what we do in, back in the past changes the future that if God says, I've got this plan for you and he tells you where you want to go, then you're going to rush the plan, or you're going to change the plan, or you're going to do something different. It's the nature of humanity to change what's going to happen. Just like with Hezekiah, king of Judah, God sends the prophet to Hezekiah and tells him, get your house in order, you're going to die. Hezekiah, who's sick, He thinks he's going to recover, but he's sick. And the prophet says, you need to make all the arrangements. You're not going to make it. Hezekiah rolls over, the Bible says, and he faces the wall. And he prays and he asks God for more time. And the prophet's not all the way out of sight. And he comes back and says, God's going to give you 15 more years. During that 15 years, though Manasseh is born, the most evil kings of all of Judah, During that 15 years, Hezekiah shows the Babylonians all of the temple and all of its gold and all of its silver and all of its grandeur. And the prophet once again comes back and says to Hezekiah, what would you do? He said, well, I just showed these guys everything we've got. He said, where are they from? Oh, they're from a long way away. It's no big deal. They're from Babylon. And the prophet says, they're going to come back and take it all. He knew the future that he was going to die and he asked God to change his future. And when he did, it changed the complexity of what was going to take place. It's human nature. And when Hezekiah confronted 
with the future destruction of Jerusalem, he said, was there going to be peace in my day? The prophet said, yes, it's all going to take place later. He said, all right, no big deal. That when he realized his future was going to come to an end and it wasn't going to affect him in that immediate 15 years, ah, no big deal. It is human nature to change and to want to manipulate what we know is coming. The context of our message today is this, it is, once again, it is the next segment of the Olivet Discourse where Jesus is teaching on the Mount of Olives. Last week we looked at the first 14 verses of that chapter and looked at signs of the second coming and now it takes a little more of an ominous turn. Jesus now moves to one of the most significant events that signals His return. It is the great tribulation. Many of you have heard of this great tribulation. You've heard of this time of persecution and you've heard of this time of the Antichrist and his rule and reign and how he is killing the people of God, whether it's Jews or Christians, depending on your theological understanding. What I'm getting ready to give to you today is five truths about the great tribulation. Now understand, I'm not going to give you everything the Bible says have a limited time, but I'm going to walk through this section of Scripture. The first truth is this, is that the great tribulation is sparked by the abomination of desolation. The text, the verse I read, the day is coming when you will see Daniel, what Daniel the prophet spoke about. Daniel had prophesied that this event is going to come. He had been inspired by God to write down that there is this event that's going to take place called the abomination of desolation or the abomination that makes desolate. Now, abomination, let me just give you this, not in my notes, but let me give you this. It is something that God hates. There's sin and then there's abomination where he takes it to a new level. The Bible would describe this These various abominations, there are certain things he just says, these are wrong, don't do them, and other things. When he said, this is an abomination, and and what he means, I want to spit you out of my mouth, anyone who does this. and He says, this event is an abomination. It's not just a bad thing. It's not just a regular old run-of-the-mill sin. It's going to be a major deal. It is the abomination that maketh desolate. And when Jesus is speaking... It means this is going to come in the future, so it hasn't happened yet. Daniel wrote about it in the 6th century B.C., and he said this event is going to come. And in the 2nd century, when Antiochus Epiphanes of the Greeks, he set up, he slaughtered a pig in the temple in Jerusalem. And the Jews would go, well, that's the abomination of desolation. And what Jesus would say, it hadn't happened yet, that was bad. And maybe in some way it's a fulfillment, but it's not the fulfillment of this prophecy of Daniel. He said, but it's coming. So what did Daniel say in, two, in three different places? Daniel wrote, Daniel 9, 27, Daniel eleven thirty one, 31, Daniel 12 and 12. He, he wrote these things that a future ruler will make a treaty with the people of Israel. The terms of this treaty will be for seven years. 
Midway through the seven years, this ruler will gather his troops and put an end to the sacrifices at the temple in Jerusalem. And as you know, there is no temple in Jerusalem now, which tells us that this covenant, this agreement that this ruler is going to make, is going to allow them to rebuild the temple and to restart sacrifices. And I probably mentioned this last week, but they already have all of the furniture for the temple. They have the brazen altar, they have the brazen laver, and they have an ark of the covenant, they have all the the table of showbread, they have the things, they've already, they're preparing for the day when they can build this temple. And like we said last week, it is soon to come. They have a red heifer that they're going to burn on this altar when they build the temple that will allow them to purify the nation of Israel from their sin, just like they did in the Old Testament. It is coming, and this ruler halfway through is going to stop the sacrifice, and he's going to keep them from offering any more sacrifice, and he is going to set up himself and probably a statue of himself, proclaiming himself to be God. In essence, it is this act that will make him the Antichrist. This desecration of the temple will continue until the judgment of God is finally meted out on the ruler, this Antichrist, and his followers. And it will be some three and a half years later when this happens. This event, it'll be a clear sign. Nobody's going to miss it. If you understand the Bible, when you see somebody come to the temple in Jerusalem, or let me back up, when you see an agreement that allows them to build a temple in Jerusalem, you can know the time of his return is getting close. You can know that he is soon to return. And halfway through that seven-year period, when you see this, and this Antichrist declares himself to be the ruler of the world, and not only that, but he is the Messiah, which would make him a false Christ when he does that, you can know that the end is coming soon. It is not going to be long until Jesus comes back. But this event is sparked and started by this act of the Antichrist. But the second truth is this, is that the great tribulation will happen suddenly. Jesus would say, when you are in those who are in Judea, when you see this happen, flee for the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray, he said, that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath. This great tribulation that happens suddenly, it will initially be in the area of Judea. You're like, well, that's no big deal. Judea, that's in Israel. That's a long way. It starts in Judea, but it doesn't stay in Judea. That everywhere there are Jews and everywhere there are people that are not bowing down to this Antichrist, persecution will be coming. That the Antichrist will seek to persecute them And what Jesus says, and he uses this language of the day and this language of describing what's going on in Judea, he said, if you're on your housetop, flat roofs, that they would do a lot of work up there, they would sleep up there. He said, if it happens while you're on the housetop, take those outside stairs. You've seen it in pictures. You may have seen it in movies. Outside staircases that go up to the roof of a house. He says, don't go inside and pack. You get out of there now. 
There's no time to go back and pack. There's no time to go downstairs and get your stuff together. You just run. It's going to be sudden and it's going to be urgent. If you're in the field and you've taken your coat off and you laid it as was their custom, they would lay it on the edge of the field as they worked. Don't go back and get your coat. It doesn't matter how cold it's going to get at night. In the land of Israel, don't get your coat because you're going to get caught. You're going to get killed. When you see this happen, get out of there. If you're pregnant, you can't travel fast. If you're a nursing mother, you're going to have trouble with the taking care of your baby in this moment. Pray that it's not wintertime. Pray that the weather's good and that it's not too cold because you're not going to have a place of shelter. You're going to be out in the hills, in the mountains of Israel. Pray, he says, that it's not on the Sabbath day. Because Jews, they don't travel on the Sabbath day. They can only walk a short distance on the Sabbath day, and it doesn't matter whether the enemy's coming or not. If it's the Sabbath day, they're going to only walk so far, and then they're going to they're stop, and they're going to get caught. They're going to get killed by their enemy. It is an urgent, and it is a sudden situation. The third truth is this, is that the great tribulation will be worse than everything else. Jesus would say it this way, for there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began, and it will never be so great again. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive, but it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen one. And let me hurry and say this. It is called great tribulation for a reason. Jesus had already said, in this world you will have tribulation. There are going to be bad things that happen. Can I get a witness? Not everything's going to be great and not everything's going to go good. There's going to be tribulation. And if you live in a, a number of countries around our world today, they are in tribulation. For the cause of the testimony of Jesus Christ, they're getting persecuted because they're Christian. They're getting persecuted because they are followers of Jesus. It's already happened, but what he said is, it's, in the Greek word is mega, it is a mega tribulation. It is worse than anything that's ever been. And it will be worse than anything that will ever come. Great tribulation. Never like it before, never like it again. He goes on and says that this way, that if the days were not limited or the days were not shortened, nobody could be saved. Everybody would be killed, he said, but it's saved for the cause of the elect. Those who are chosen by God, those who are following God, he said, because of them, I have shortened the time. I'm not going to let the Antichrist run his reign. I'm not going to let the Antichrist do everything he wants. He's only got a limited time to work. Not of a nose. I, I thought about this. It doesn't matter. If you're not a follower of Jesus, Satan is still not your friend. Some people would say the devil's only out to get those who are following Jesus. It don't matter what you're doing, he is not your friend. It doesn't matter if you bow down, if you're a Satan worshiper. He is not your friend. 
as long as there is hope, and as long as there is a gospel, and as long as there is a Jesus that can change lives, Satan is never anybody's friend. And I thought about it in context of this, and, he, and Jesus says, unless the days were short, nobody, he'd kill them all. He might start with Jews and Christians, but everybody's going to get destroyed eventually. Because if Satan can kill people before they choose to follow Jesus, guess what? They can never do it. Once they're dead, it's in. There is no hope of them following Jesus. And he eliminates their hope when he kills them. Jesus said, unless the days were shortened, this calamity, this great tribulation would kill everybody. Fourth thing is this, is the great tribulation is accompanied by false prophets and Christ. If anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it, Jesus says. For false messiahs and false Christ will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. So if someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, don't bother to go and look. Or look, he is hiding here, don't believe it. Last week in the passage we looked at, there were false prophets and false Christs, and they spring up again. And Jesus says, ignore those people who say that I have returned. Don't believe them when they say that the Messiah has really come. He said they're going to do signs. Once again, he uses the word great signs. It's mega signs, not just any little sign. This is not your run-of-the-mill miracle. That the that the devil who also has supernatural power is going to do great signs. The purpose of the great signs is to deceive the people into believing that what they're saying is true and that the Antichrist is really the real Christ. But Jesus says, when you see these things, remember what I said. When you see people that don't line up with the Bible... And when you see people that are saying that the Messiah has come, but it doesn't fit what I've told you here, he said, don't believe them. Remember what I said. There are a lot of people who will prophesy, but don't be fooled. And we are to ignore any secret return of Jesus. They, the false prophets and the false Christ, ignore them when they say it's been a secret return, that he came back and you just missed it, so go out to meet him in the desert or go out into this secret place and meet him. And ultimately what is going on is this, that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and they tell you that he's shown up somewhere and you go out to see him, What I would say is the enemy is going to be waiting. Let's get those who are looking for this other Christ. They don't believe that the Antichrist is the real Christ, so they're looking for somebody else. Those are the people we're after. Those are the people the Antichrist is out to destroy. Jesus says, remember my words, don't believe them. We live in a day where the devil is seeking his best to deceive people. It has always been his practice, starting with Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say? 
to the current AI Jesus and the AI Bible that we have and fake news and fake Christianity, if I could say it that way, those who say that they're Christian, but they're not following the Word of God, they're not following the Jesus of the Bible, they've created a different Jesus in their mind. And any Jesus that doesn't line up with the Word of Scripture is an idol. There is only one source of truth, and it is the Word of God, and there is only one Jesus, and everything else is a fake, and everything else is false, and there's only one thing that you can depend on, and that is the Word of God and the Jesus of the Word of God. And would you give him a great hand clap of praise? Lastly, this great tribulation ends with the public return of the real Christ. After saying, don't believe those who say that the Messiah has come back in the desert, he's come back in some inner room somewhere, he's got a hidden headquarters. Jesus would use two analogies. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. They go back to the title slide of the sermon. I don't know if you can see it. I don't know if how... If you go back to that title slide, you probably can't see it with the lighting. It's lightning. That's why it's on the title slide. Looking down the road at the future, you can't hide lightning. You can be in your room with the curtains drawn and the blinds pulled, but when lightning flashes, you still see the effects of it. And what Jesus said is, just like the lightning flashes from east and it goes to west, you can be a long way away and you can see that lightning. He says, so it's going to be when the Son of Man comes. You don't have to wonder about some secret return because when He comes back, everybody's going to know that He's come back. It's going to be just like lightning flashing. You can't miss it. You will not be caught unaware. You will know that He has returned. There is no secret return where He's coming and He's going to be camped out somewhere. Remember what He said, that when He comes, it's going to be like lightning from the east to west. And Jesus does one more analogy. As Anna comes to the piano, this last analogy NLT would say it this way, just as the gathering of vultures shows there is a carcass nearby. So these signs indicate that the end is near. I love westerns. I think I mentioned this. I've read every Louis L'Amour like 17 times. Zane Gray, Max Brand, you know, you name it. Jesus uses this analogy that you would see written about or portrayed on video of the vultures. That when you see vultures circling in the sky, 
they're over here to your right, you're, you're not going to be looking over here to your left and going, man, I, I wonder if there's something dead over here. That wherever they're circling, that's where the carcass is. That's where something is dying or is dead. And Jesus said, you can't miss it. It's not going to be a surprise. You're going to know when it happens. Some scholars would say this. In Matthew 24, doesn't really speak much of the battle of Armageddon. That when Jesus comes back to the earth to set up His kingdom, the event that He comes back at it's the battle of Armageddon where he destroys the armies of the nations of the world. Where some blood, the Bible says blood, will run as high as a horse's bridle for some 160 miles. You're going to know when it happens. It's not going to be a surprise. You can't miss his return. Great tribulation is sparked by the abomination of desolation. It happens suddenly. It's worse than anything and everything that's ever been. And it's accompanied by false prophets and false Christ. And it ends with the public return of the real Christ. I entitled this message Trusting Jesus with Our Future. I'm telling you about this great calamity that's coming, this great time of persecution and tribulation. And for many, and maybe most, when you talk about the end times, people are scared. They don't want to talk about it. They'd rather ignore what the Bible says because it's a little scary. the same God who knows the end from the beginning and the same God who prophesied this abomination of desolation coming and the the same God who prophesied that when that happens there's going to be this great persecution and the same God who said he's coming back if he knows all of that he knows the future that that means he can take care of you and I and I'm not going to come down day and tell you exactly when he's coming. This message isn't intended to talk about the rapture or when it happens and what is that compared to the second coming and to the return of Jesus. But it's simply to tell you he knows the future and you can trust him with your future. You can trust that He knows everything that's going to take place. He knows what's going to happen to you today, and He knows what's going to happen to you tomorrow. And He knows what's going to happen next year. He knows what's going to happen in the next decade. He knows it all. And if you're a follower of Jesus, He's got you in the palm of His hand. And no matter what happens and no matter what comes your way or what comes my way, we can trust Him. And we can say, God, it doesn't matter what really happens because I know that whether I live or whether I die, I have an eternity with you. That regardless of what happens to this flesh and what happens to this body, I have an eternal hope and an eternal home with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
how can you ensure that that is true of you? I told the 14 kids that were playing soccer with me yesterday, there's only one way to make sure you get to heaven with Jesus. There's not 14, there's not 17, there's not two. There's only one. You must be born again. You must be born of water and spirit in order to see or to enter the kingdom of God. The Jesus who came and lived a sinless, perfect life, who went to a cross and was crucified in my place and in your place, who took the punishment, the penalty for my sin, who rose again the third day, says, if you want to see heaven, you must repent of your sins. You must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and be filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit, evidence of speaking in a language you do not know. That's the only way to be prepared for eternity is to be born again. Would you stand together? And I'm over time. But the apostles... All but John died for their faith. They tried to kill John, but he just wouldn't die. They boiled him in oil. They did other things, and he just wouldn't die. That Jesus alluded to that in what turned out to be a prophecy in John 21. That if he tarries till I come, what is that to you? And they took him to say he wouldn't die. He did die. He just didn't die of persecution. There's another early church father by the name of Polycarp. A Christian. A follower of Jesus at the time when the Roman government was killing Christians. This story is recorded because now as Polycarp was entering into the stadium it's like the Colosseum you've seen it portrayed in biblical movies and gladiator and whatever as he was entering into the stadium there came to him a voice from heaven saying be strong and show thyself a man O Polycarp no one saw who it was that spoke to him but those of our brethren other Christians writing this. Those of our brethren who were present heard the voice. And as he was brought forward, the tumult became great when they heard that Polycarp was taken. The Christians were upset, and those who were there to see the Christians die were glad because Polycarp was renowned. And when he came near, the proconsul asked him whether he was Polycarp on his confessing that he was proconsul said sought to persuade him to deny Christ saying have respect to thy old age and other similar things according to their custom saying to Polycarp such thing as swear by the fortune of Caesar repent and say away with the atheist Christians were called atheists because they denied the gods of Rome they denied the gods of the Greeks and they only served one they were like they're atheists they don't even believe in God but Polycarp, gazing with a stern countenance on all the multitude of the wicked heathen, then in the stadium and waving his hands toward them, 
while with groans, he looked up to heaven and said, Away with the atheist. Then the proconsul urging him, I don't know if you caught that, he waved at all the people of Rome. He says, Away with the atheist. The proconsul urging him and saying, Swear, and I will set thee at liberty. Reproach Christ. And Polycarp declared, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my Savior? An 86-year-old man getting ready to get burned at the stake says, God's always been good to me. How can I deny him now? What I would tell you is this. It doesn't really matter what happens to us here. It doesn't matter what persecution or tribulation comes and and, and I pray that it doesn't happen here in the United States of America. It's already happening around the world. We've been blessed of all people that we can worship freely and we can lift praise to God anytime we want. We can gather together anytime in any way that we want. But regardless of what happens, trust Him with your future. And the only way to do that is to make sure that you're born again you're born of water and spirit and that you are in relationship with him and then it doesn't matter just like Polycarp you say I'm not denying him now he's been nothing but good to me and it doesn't matter what you do to this body because I have an eternity with Jesus Christ if that's your desire to serve him and live for him would you just come around this front for just a moment I know the time is growing late but would you come and lift your hands your voices your hearts to the Lord right now and would you declare that Jesus I'm going to serve you no matter what I put my future in your hands. I'm going to trust you with my future. I'm going to trust, Lord, that no matter what comes, that you have it all in your control. We give you praise. We give you praise. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you know the future. And we can put our future and our trust in your hands. The same God who made the way is the same God who sees. 